Hello, you're listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the Europe economics editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode is about using trade policy to help the environment. On July 14th, the European Commission unveiled details of its proposal to apply a Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM. And as weird strings of letters go, I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. Uh, BAM to the carbon, or CBAM. Here is Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, giving the State of Union address in September 2020. Carbon must have its price because nature cannot pay this price anymore. And this carbon border adjustment mechanism should motivate foreign producers and EU importers to reduce their carbon emissions while ensuring that we level the playing field in a WTO compatible way. We are going to be joined by a special guest, Susanna Droger from the German Institute for International and Security Affairs has been following this topic very closely. Big picture, the problem we're trying to solve is that the planet is heating up. We need to reduce emissions of greenhouse gases to stop that from happening. This episode is going to focus on industry because that's what the CBAM covers. But the sector also matters for global emissions. Energy use in industry accounted for about a quarter of global CO2 emissions in 2016. The process of making cement and chemicals added another five percentage points to that. The Paris Agreement was to limit the increases in global temperature to well below 2 degrees Celsius, and ideally to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. As the EU's contribution, the European Commission announced in the European Green Deal that they would try to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by 2030 relative to 1990 levels. That 55 is how you got the Fit for 55 slogan that was attached to this package, uh, which I think has now been ditched because it sounded like an aerobics class. But yeah. If you want to cut emissions by 55% in 2030 from 1990 levels, you need to cut emissions in industry. Before we talk about this latest announcement, let's go back and talk about the history of what the EU has done. In 2005, it launched something called the Emissions Trading System that was supposed to push people to reduce their carbon emissions. Economists call it a cap-and-trade scheme, and essentially, the EU sets the amount of carbon they're okay with the covered companies emitting, and then they say, if you want to emit carbon, you are going to need a permit. So they've basically created a market for the right to emit carbon. And by pricing this, by creating this market and pricing this pollution, the idea is that companies will come up with efficient ways to reduce emissions. If it's really expensive for you to cut your emissions, then fine, you just buy a permit. If it's really cheap, though, then this priced carbon gives you the incentive to make that investment to innovate and cut your carbon emissions. Around the world, governments have created more than 60 different schemes to price carbon, covering around a fifth of global emissions. And so well done by the EU for for being one of those. This is not something that the United States has done, for example. The EU scheme obviously hasn't been perfect. 
Uh, for a long time, they basically handed out too many permits. The price was really, really low. Between 2012 and 2018, the price of emitting a ton of carbon was less than 10 euros. That's not very much. And obviously, with a low carbon price, your incentives to cut emissions are pretty weak. Now, more recently, this has changed. Now, the, the price is above 50 euros and it's projected to increase. The EU is really trying to push this along to increase incentives to cut carbon. And that means putting a higher price on carbon. Now, no one ever said that cutting carbon emissions was going to be easy. And there's a big risk that if you try to cut emissions at home while other countries around the world are sitting back and letting their companies ignore the cost of carbon, well, the risk is that your efforts will be undermined by trade. This in the business is called carbon leakage, and it pretty much is what it says on the tin. You can think of a government trying to squeeze carbon emissions out of its economy and the emissions just leaking overseas instead. The key point is that under the European ETS, the carbon pricing only applies to domestic production. Imports are just not covered. And there's a couple of ways that this leakage could happen. You could get Europe-based companies relocating abroad where they don't have to bother with the, with the hassle of this carbon pricing thing. Then they could sell back to their old customers in the EU, sell it to countries around the world elsewhere without having to bear the cost of carbon. So investment could shift overseas. Or you could just have European companies going out of business altogether because they get outcompeted by foreign companies. If production just shifts overseas as a result of these carbon prices, then the EU isn't really meeting its climate goals. The climate doesn't care where the carbon is emitted. If foreign producers increase their emissions when trying to serve the, the EU market, that's not meeting the EU's goals. Now, as a side note, there is a really interesting philosophical question in global climate talks about who is responsible for, for which carbon emissions. So should you be responsible if you are the consumer of carbon intensive stuff um, or should you be held to account for what you produce? Now, if you're China, you're the factory of the world. You probably want other countries to take responsibility for the carbon embedded in the stuff that they are buying. If you are rich world consumer countries that have outsourced lots of their manufacturing, then, then no, you want the, the, the producers to be responsible um, for the emissions in, in production. On this question of carbon leakage, it is always worth being a, a little bit skeptical about this stuff. So we should all be asking just how much of a risk this really is. The key line from the European Commission's proposal of July 14th said, the evidence of the existence of carbon leakage is not always conclusive or suggests that it is difficult to isolate carbon leakage as a single factor in relocation decisions. So, hey, maybe this whole fuss about carbon leakage is a fuss over nothing. But there are two reasons why so far carbon leakage might not have been something to worry about, but maybe it would be something to be concerned about in future. The first reason is that because there were so many permits allocated, as I said, carbon prices were super low. If the cost of carbon just isn't that high, then there's really only a small competitive disadvantage that, that comes with paying it. So maybe it doesn't really affect location decisions. 
The second reason is that the EU already had a way of dealing with carbon leakage. Here's Susanna. In the course of this discussion on how to prevent carbon leakage, the EU forked out a large amount of free allowances so that permits were not costly at all for the sectors at risk. That prevented this kind of carbon leakage. And uh, it is not proven at all that there was leakage of this kind in the EU. So for industries at risk of import competition, the EU had basically said, it's okay. You don't have to buy these permits. You can have a bunch of carbon permits for free. Now, when you look at the details, these free carbon permits are a massive deal. If nothing changes, then between 2021 and 2030, 43% of total allowances will be allocated for free. That's a lot of allowances. And this policy of, of protecting industry from the effects of carbon leakage It does just mean that you're going to protect companies that account for a lot of emissions. Almost all emissions from industry come from sectors considered at risk of carbon leakage. So low carbon prices and free permits could well be why there hasn't been much carbon leakage so far. But all of that could now be changing. Which brings us to the EU's Fit for 55 package. On July 14th, Ursula von der Leyen announced a mega package of stuff meant to deliver on this promise to cut emissions. Europe is now the very first continent that presents a comprehensive architecture to meet our climate ambitions. We have the goal, but now we present the roadmap to how we are going to get there. This was a broad set of proposals. It included a tightening of the existing emissions trading system, so that's reducing the the number of permits. Um, That should mean that the cost of carbon increases. The proposal also was for emissions trading schemes to cover new industries, like shipping and, and road transport. They want to plant 3 billion trees around Europe by 2030. They're tightening emission standards for cars. They want all new cars registered from 2035 to be zero emission. And they want to phase out free allowances in five areas. Electricity, fertilizers, cement, iron and steel, and aluminium. And finally, they want to introduce a CBAM. Now, on on the summary of all the measures, the commission says... A new carbon border adjustment mechanism will put a carbon price on imports of a targeted selection of products to ensure that ambitious climate action in Europe does not lead to carbon leakage. This will ensure that European emission reductions contribute to a global emissions decline instead of pushing carbon-intensive production outside Europe. It also aims to encourage industry outside the EU and our international partners to take steps in the same direction. Sounds good, right? Sure, when when you put it like that. To wade through all this, we're going to focus on the withdrawal of the free permits and the introduction of the CBAM. And the first question is why? What's wrong with free permits? Now, in elegant econ world, getting a carbon permit for free should actually do the job. It should still encourage you to reduce your carbon emissions. So just just to think through that, imagine the carbon price is a billion euros, right? You are then given a permit to emit some carbon. Now, you could use that permit and emit the ton of carbon, 
Or you could say, hang on, I'm not going to emit the carbon. I'm going to sell my permit for a billion euros and I'm going to make a lot of money. Right. So if you are a profit maximizing business operating in a competitive market, even if you get a free permit in this elegant econ world, you should still want to cut your emissions. Turns out the real world isn't like elegant econ world. Sorry. It looks like the free permits blunted the incentives to cut carbon emissions. The European Commission wrote in this document published on July 14th that in the power sector, where companies have to buy permits, decarbonization has been faster than in the industries where permits have been given away for free. I spoke to Michael Grubb at, at UCL, and he offered as one explanation that this wasn't a one-shot game. If polluters sell their permits, then they know the commission is going to look at that and think, oh, they don't really need the free permits. Great, let's reduce the number we give them. So yeah, they're going to hang on to their permits. And they're really just not going to cut their carbon emissions by very much. You also need to take into account the effect of the free permits on the market price. You might think that in a world in which companies had to pay, the price of permits would be higher. So the fact that you have free permits blunts the incentives for everyone to cut their carbon emissions. Okay, so the main reason not to like the free permits is that they don't help the environment as much as one would want. But the European Commission says that there is another reason to move away from these free permits. They could raise more revenue if they auctioned them off. Now, over time, you would hope that a carbon price would raise less and less money as the carbon emissions reduce. So it's not the most sustainable source of revenue, uh, but it's clearly one motivation. Revenue is nice. They'd like some. If you're going to withdraw these free permits and do all these other things that mean carbon prices are going to rise, you're going to increase incentives for European businesses to cut their carbon emissions. And that's great. But then you need to do something to stop the carbon leakage. Otherwise, you're just going to annoy people at home without cutting global carbon emissions. This is both an economic point and a political point. No way are European politicians going to accept the end of free permits without something else to ensure what they would call a level playing field. So let's talk about how this would work, how exactly the European Commission wants to withdraw the free carbon permits and introduce a CBAM. So they want to do it for electricity, fertilizers, cement, iron and steel and aluminium, uh, both raw materials and slightly more processed ones. The products affected would cover just over half of the EU's industrial emissions in 2020, uh, or about 40% of total emissions when you include uh, electricity. They have been picked because the EU thinks they face a particularly high risk of carbon leakage. There is a lot of carbon associated with their production. They're carbon intensive. Therefore, they would face a, a high carbon price if they had to pay for all of this stuff. And they are traded enough for imports to pose a threat. So on the withdrawal of free permits... The idea is that this would happen slowly for the affected sectors over 10 years starting in 2026. Now, it is worth saying that these free allowances were always supposed to be phased out, but it got postponed. So this is, this is really it this time. The European Commission puts out this proposal on July 14th. As part of that, it included an impact assessment where it looks at what withdrawal of the free allowances would do if you didn't have a CBAM. The whole package, which includes things that would increase the carbon price, 
would cut EU emissions in CBAM sectors by a lot, by 17% in 2030. But the Commission also thinks that imports would rise as European production became less competitive relative to manufacturing in other countries. They think imports in 2030 would be 8% higher than they would have been without any change. So if you withdraw the free allowances, then domestic EU carbon emissions go down, but foreign carbon emissions go up. And if you compare their, their various different scenarios, I think their analysis suggests that withdrawing the free permits on their own would actually be counterproductive. Foreign emissions would end up rising so much as a result of that in the CBAM sectors that you would end up cutting global emissions less than if you just kept the free allowances. And that's why they want the CBAM. And so this is the exciting new bit. The CBAM covers 29 billion euros worth of EU imports. That's about $35 billion, or around 1.5% of total EU goods imports. In the impact assessment, the commission also estimates that in this first phase, only about 1,000 traders would be affected, and they would be dealing with only about 510 production sites outside of the EU. That's not actually that many. What the commission is trying to do is sort of connect these imports to the ETS. So from 2026, if you want to import covered steel or cement or whatever, you'll have to buy a CBAM certificate. And how much you pay will depend on the carbon emissions associated with the production of that product. This is going to be phased in over 10 years. So at the beginning, importers would only pay 10% of the ETS price. And by 2035, they would pay the whole thing. One key point to make here is that the EU has not applied a cap on emissions associated with imports. If they did that, I think the likelihood is that trading partners would freak out and just call it an import quota. Instead, what they're saying is you can import however much you want, but if you do, you're going to have to face the same carbon price as domestic producers here in Europe. Now, we obviously really love detail on trade talks, but believe us in this case, this is one of those policies where the details really, really matter. So so you're an importer trying to work out how to deal with this new thing, From 2023, the plan is that the EU will start collecting information on the carbon associated with imports as a sort of dry run before you have to start paying in 2026. So question number one is, what is covered? Which carbon emissions will be covered by this scheme? The European Commission actually excluded some products because the answer to this was was too complicated. If you've got a mega factory and everything is covered by the ETS, it should be relatively straightforward to work out your emissions. The problem comes if you're a foreign producer making several products at one of those mega factories. How do you decide how much carbon to associate with each one? For now, the EU has basically dodged this. So some high emissions industrial processes like chemicals and petroleum refineries make multiple products, and they just won't be included in CBAM at first. For products that are covered, there's the question of which carbon emissions will be in scope. You might try to cover the full carbon footprint of something, so the carbon emissions related to mining, the carbon emissions related to raw materials, transport, everything. 
But the ETS only covers direct emissions associated with parts of the production process that producers have control over. It also covers emissions associated with the electricity that you need to make the product, though some sectors get aid to cover the costs of that electricity production. The CBAM for these sectors will only cover direct emissions, so not emissions associated with electricity. And that's a big deal for the aluminum industry, which uses a massive amount of electricity in in its production. So when you import aluminum, you're not going to have to buy CBAM certificates to account for the carbon associated with the electricity to make it. That means that domestic producers of aluminum are going to fight really hard to keep their aid for electricity. Another question is how to work out the emissions associated with your product and what to do if you just can't do it. The commission is proposing that importers state how much carbon is associated with their product. It's basically trying to replicate processes that it uses already for the ETS within the EU. And it says it doesn't want to drown foreign producers in red tape, it's just the the same system. But they're also mindful of the fact that at first it might be quite difficult to get your products verified as having a particular level of emissions. So companies will have the option of paying a default rate instead, so they don't have to go through the hassle of verifying their emissions. That default rate is very important. If the data isn't available, then it will be the average emissions associated with a particular product coming from a particular country, plus a markup. That markup hasn't been decided yet. Or if that product country-specific information isn't available, then it will be the rate paid by the 10th percentile of Europe's most polluting companies. Pretty dirty companies, then. The more expensive it is to verify your emissions the more likely you are to say, forget it, I'm just going to pay the default rate. So obviously, the commission wants to set the default rate high enough that companies do have an incentive to report their actual carbon emissions. The paperwork and bureaucracy associated with this is going to be really important. Because if it's super onerous, foreign companies are going to claim that they're being discriminated against. Another question in the design of this is what happens when you interact the CBAM with carbon prices around the world? In some cases, countries that are already connected to the EU's ETS scheme will just be carved out. In other cases, you will be able to get a credit towards the price of the CBAM certificates to match what you've already paid as part of a scheme elsewhere. We asked Susanna for some examples. For instance, UK and Norway both have a carbon price in place, either a minimum tax rate or uh, they are linked to the UTS. And um, it is uh, spelled out in the proposal that um, Norway is not part of the CBAM, so Norwegian imports need, don't need to have uh, be covered by the CBAM, while for the UK this is not spelled out. I mean, one could have imagined that this, the language is just like, you know, we we do not, the CBAM will not cover countries that have a similar CO2 pricing system in place. With the UK after Brexit, this is still subject to negotiations. And it, at the moment, it seems that the UK government doesn't want to connect on that basis, like Norway, Norway is being connected, we will see. But when it comes to the calculation, after all, if you credit the CO2 price from the UK, you will end up with a CBAM close to zero or zero. The CBAM is supposed to encourage producers and other non-EU countries to cut their own carbon emissions. If they want to export to the EU, 
they will now face the, the this cost of carbon. The credits are supposed to encourage more environmentally friendly policies in these third countries. If you're a government and your producers are paying the EU for all these carbon permits, you're supposed to think, hey, I want that revenue. I should charge my producers to emit carbon. Okay, so at this point, listeners are probably wondering which countries are actually affected by this CBAM. We asked Susanna who would be hit. Yes, uh, we have, the EU has a number of top 10 suppliers in steel, cement, aluminum, fertilizers, and electricity. So let's look at the industrial sectors. And we see that amongst the top 10, and I will leave out UK and Norway, which are both at the top ranks, um, Russia, Belarus, Turkey, uh, Ukraine, and um, also Countries like Colombia or Bahrain stick out. I, they are top suppliers with respect to some of these sectors. And especially Russia is across the board a key trade partner for the EU. Russia, Turkey, Belarus, these countries make sense. And we're talking about heavy materials here, and, and these are some of the EU's closest neighbors. So in theory, this means that you've basically attached a carbon price to imports. That's great. And if you look at the impact assessment, it says that it would reduce the carbon leakage. Remember, the impact assessment said that if you got rid of free permits, then 42% of the carbon reduction within the EU would be offset by higher emissions abroad for CBAM sectors. If you introduce the CBAM, then instead of foreign emissions going up, they go down. So the CBAM reinforces carbon reduction efforts at home. Those are the intended consequences. Let's now talk about the potential unintended consequences. The first one you hear about is something called resource shuffling. This is the risk that foreign producers shuffle around their exports to send their more environmentally friendly production to the EU and their dirtier production elsewhere. There are opportunities to do that because of the variation in in the carbon intensity of different production methods. Now, that's actually okay in terms of leveling the EU playing field. European producers are competing against cleaner technology. That's that's fine. That should keep their incentives to cut their carbon emissions. But on net, it means that the measure won't have as much of an effect on global carbon emissions. Another risk is that carbon leakage moves down the supply chain. You could imagine a car maker in the EU that's importing steel to make cars. All of a sudden, its imported steel is is now more expensive. So it just starts importing the parts instead, which don't face a carbon price. Foreign emissions go up, and you get carbon leakage. There was a recent study from the think tank DIW Berlin that tried to quantify this risk. They looked at how important the carbon cost would be as a share of value added across different industries. Um, And if it's super high then the carbon price is putting manufacturers at a serious disadvantage. Now, they found that, of course, it depends on on the carbon price, this risk of carbon leakage. When it's only €30 per tonne, only around 5% of EU manufacturing sales are at risk of this this kind of carbon leakage. But that increases to 15% if the carbon price rises to €75 per tonne. Remember, the price now is around €50 per tonne, and it's expected to to rise. 
Now, for some sectors, like steel, the commission's proposal recognized the potential problem. It actually decided to include steel pipe and tube, even though they don't emit that much carbon. So that should stop importers circumventing the effects of the CBAM by importing the more processed steel instead of just the raw stuff. Now, obviously, this is a function of the fact that you're only covering some products and not everything. In an ideal world, you would just cover everything with this this CBAM. And the idea is that coverage will expand over time. The problem for now is that the further down the supply chain you go, the more complicated it is to work out how much carbon has been emitted in the process of production. Again, think of that car, but now with thousands of components, that's, that's a nightmare. There's another kind of carbon leakage you have to worry about, and that's going to be for European exporters. EU competitors could find themselves less competitive on international markets because they now have to face the cost of emitting carbon, and those foreign firms don't. And that could end up hurting the EU's objective of lowering carbon emissions. Around 8% of the EU's production of cement, for example, is exported, and 18% of steel. Now, you could deal with this in theory by offering exporters a rebate, a rebate for the cost of carbon associated with whatever they export. Here's Susanna. From the very start of the debate, it was clear that there won't be export rebates. I think that given that the Commission and many um, stakeholders would like to get rid of reallocation, they didn't want to hand out any other subsidies to exports. Also because addressing leakage is being regarded rather as something that takes place that should be addressed in the EU territory, so against imports. If you read the Commission's proposal, it's clear they recognize this concern of how compatible export credits would be with the rules of the World Trade Organization. Europe's trading partners could look at these rebates and say, hang on, that's an export subsidy, that's not okay. And then under WTO rules, they'd be able to impose a a countervailing duty on the subsidized product almost immediately. So the EU rebate would just be an absolute waste. They'd be handing the exporters the money, and then the foreign governments would just as quickly take it away as soon as the product had arrived and crossed the border. Another unintended consequence is that this proposal really screws over poor countries. If you're an LDC, least developed country, you have no hope of dealing with all of this extra admin to comply with this the CBAM. Now, the EU's proposal does not exempt poor countries at any level of development. This is really tricky. On the one hand, you might want to recognize trade as a pathway to development and and exempt these poorer countries. You might also think that poorer countries shouldn't be expected to bear the same burden of decarbonization as richer ones. They haven't contributed to historical carbon emissions. You might also think that actually the, the threat of carbon leakage to LDCs is pretty low. LDCs send less than 5% of the EU's aluminium imports and a much lower share of the other stuff covered. On the other hand, it is kind of crazy to encourage polluting industries in the poorest countries. Now, the impact assessment recognizes these problems and it mentions possible technical assistance to help with decarbonization or technology transfer or maybe some kind of gradual phase in. 
The other big potential unintended consequence of all this is that foreign governments retaliate. And there is some some history of this. In 2012, the European Commission suggested including international flights in the ETS. Trading partners completely freaked out. A bunch of countries, including the United States, united against this. And, and the U.S. actually forbade their airlines from participating. The Chinese threatened to stop buying Airbus planes. Ultimately, the, the policy was retracted. This has been described to me as though it imposed a kind of trauma uh, on the officials involved. Now, one of the problems was the DG climate, the bit of the European Commission dealing with, with climate, they kind of just did it on their own. There wasn't a massive amount of coordination with other bits of the European Commission. We asked Susanna whether we might see something similar this time. Well, this is in the air and this is part of the reactions, but there is a kind of first tentative signaling that this will be brought to the WTO in order to clarify the legal side. To me, it is a technical and a political thing, how countries will react. The technical one is the one how this is going to be proposed and is it, if, it, if it is uh, well done, right? If it is uh, a good legal proposal that will stand against any, uh, any charges or any claims being made. On the other hand, the, what has changed uh, um, is that we now have no longer a DG climate going it alone and being confronted by a diplomatic, well, meltdown. It was also made clear when there was this big presentation on the 14th of July of the overall Green Deal package to achieve climate targets. There were six or more commissioners um, that were in charge of this program. So that could be a chance that the whole commi- the commission speaks with one voice vis-a-vis trade partners and could that could be the chance to explain much better what is being done and also the framing as the Paris Agreement and the climate target that want, need to be achieved. And so we will see. But I think the EU will not be able to go it alone and needs strong backing even if it's not a de facto backing by a copy-paste or cooperation, but political backing from the US, for sure. So it is possible that there won't be such a violent reaction this time. The other difference between now and then was that in 2012, there was an international process going on to see if there could be some kind of multilateral solution uh, in this aviation issue. So the feeling was that the EU was really undermining that. This time, there really is not a parallel multilateral process that people can point to. It is possible, though, that the EU's trading partners could respond with a challenge at the World Trade Organization. As an aside, of course, the dispute settlement system is kind of broken, though that doesn't seem to stop certain countries from from bringing disputes. The, the, The lawyers do have college fees to pay. Now, obviously, the EU is going to claim that the CBAM is WTO compatible. And when trying to work out whether it is, there's really two important questions to ask. The first is, does the CBAM treat European companies the same as foreign ones? This is the national treatment test. The EU will say, look, this Russian steel faces the same carbon price as this European steel. So calm down. This is not discrimination between domestic and foreign producers. Now, obviously, if the final proposal doesn't phase out the free allowances, uh, as some 
European politicians would like, then the CBAM will obviously discriminate against foreign producers. Now, even if they do phase out the free permits, others could say, hey, look at this onerous paperwork. It's harder for us to meet the requirements than you. This is discriminatory. The second question for the WTO is, does the CBAM treat foreign trading partners equally to each other? Does this stick to the principle of most favored nation, where if you give one country access to your market, you have to give it to everyone else? This seems to be trickier. Now, the issue is that when you are making steel, if you have, say, Russian producers on average emitting more carbon than, say, British ones, they are going to have to pay more in CBAM certificates. So because the EU wants to link CBAM pretty closely to actual emissions, you're going to get the, the, the price that exporters pay varying by country. So in practice, exporters from different countries are going to face different barriers when sending their products into the EU. So you could get the Russians complaining that the system discriminates against them because they're paying a higher price of these CBAM certificates than the British exporters. We'll see if this kind of complaint actually shows up in practice. Though there have been some examples in the past where WTO members complained that others did get even better preferential access than, than they did. Back in 2010, when Pakistan had really devastating floods and the EU was desperate for, for some way to, to help them out, they tried to give them even better preferences than, than GSP. India really wasn't happy about that and, and ended up kicking up a fuss at the WTO. It is possible that the EU measure will be discriminatory. But then the EU can say, that's fine. And they can invoke something called Article 20 in the rules. And that means you can restrict imports. You can be discriminatory as long as you can prove that the measure relates to the conservation of natural resources. Our air, I guess. And then you also have to show that the CBAM is not an arbitrary or unjustifiable discrimination between countries where the same conditions prevail. And that it isn't a disguised restriction on international trade. So basically, you can, you can do this. You just can't discriminate between countries in an arbitrary or unjustifiable way. And you can't be a protectionist. You can't just restrict international trade for the sake of it. I look forward to the legal arguments, and I'm glad that it won't be you and I making them. I'll just say one other thing here, which is that the more the EU talks about the revenue associated with the CBAM, the more protectionist this thing is going to look. Now, the, the commission's proposal says that the CBAM is only going to raise 2.1 billion euros in 2030, possibly a bit more when it's fully implemented. That's not much. But you can see that it's already being framed by some as a way to raise revenue. The main message here is be careful of that, folks. Yeah, I can just see the lawyers perusing the sports cars, uh, the red one, and the blue one. Um, before they get too excited, though, we should remind everyone this is only a proposal. We asked Susanna what is next. What the in this case of the Fit for 55 package, we will see a so-called trilogue. That means the Commission, the Parliament and the Member States will sit down and discuss all the proposals, including the CBAM. They will check for their particular interests and the Parliament was pretty clear in uh, bringing up an own proposal, which was 
this is documented and you can see that online, which should be W2O compatible. And they will kind of fight about the free allocation phase out or not. So there's also a connect to the UETS proposal. The member states will definitely look very critically into how companies are being protected against carbon leakage. But the, the procedure is that there will be a timeline set up to decide on it. And if there's a hurry, usually that could be done in within six months or something. But if it's a, not so much of an urgency or there are real dividing lines that need to be sorted out, this could take much longer. Given that the CBAM is supposed to start at least the application to register your verified emissions with this new agency that is going to be created, I would say they need to hurry up a bit because creating a new agency and setting up a new system will take also quite some time. And then you get into trouble starting in, in 2023 at the 1st of January. The plan is to set up this transitional scheme in 2023 so that companies can start sharing data on carbon emissions with the EU. In bureaucratic years, that's not very much time. So they're really going to need to, to get a move on here. Before we wrap up, we thought it would be fun to ask about the reaction in the U.S. The U.S. doesn't have its own domestic carbon price, although some have been calling to apply a carbon tax at the border anyway. So what was their reaction? Here's Susanna. I think it's a, it's a friendly but, um, but not enthusiastic reaction in Washington right now because the two parties know they depend on each other, especially in getting the COP26, bringing the COP26 to a better result. Well, let's see. I expect some more exchanges on the details, and I also expect that there could be a gentleman's agreement on how to, um, yeah, to put this on hold bilaterally for the time being. COP26 is the big UN climate change conference at the end of October, where the goal is to get even more countries to commit to CO2 reductions and incorporation. Okay, I want to make one last intervention here. Does everybody remember the trade wars, the, the U.S.-China trade wars, the stuff that affected hundreds of billions of dollars worth of trade, or even Airbus Boeing? The U.S. retaliated on EU exports worth $7.5 billion of trade. Guess what the value of U.S. exports affected by this proposed CBAM would be? Go ahead, guess. Yep. $1 billion. Of all the things to be concerned about economically, this EUC ban proposal is just not a big deal for the United States. Okay, Mr. Bound. Um, I think the idea is that when you do one thing, you set a precedent for future things, right? This could be quite narrow in scope at first, but if the EU can get it to work, then they could expand it. Uh, other countries might follow. Are you saying that you are upset that I made you sink so much time uh, into this episode? Um, you know what? Do not answer that. That is all for Trade Talks. A huge thanks to Susanna Droger from the German Institute for International and Security Affairs. Do check out my piece in The Economist this week as well. Thanks also to Colin Warren, our audio guy. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're at, at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores at trade underscore underscore talks. <laughs>